Good morning, Mosaic. It is so good to see all of you here with us today, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. I believe that God has great things in store for us today as we continue to worship Him. So I'm thankful to see you here with us and dive in together. Now, last week here on campus, we wrapped up a series that was called, What is God's Will for My Life? Let me just say, if you were not here and didn't catch that message, you have got to go back and watch that, okay? It is one of the best messages that I have heard in a very long time, and it's going to challenge all of us to be a grateful people, regardless of the situations that we find ourselves in within our lives. Today, though, we find ourselves in between series, and what I want to do is I want to press pause on our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I actually want to share a message with you that God has laid on my heart. This message is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. So I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, tap over to it on your phone. You can also access today's message notes on the Mosaic Church app that's downloadable on any platform. Lots of awesome stuff on there as well that'll help get you plugged in and involved. As you turn to Ephesians 3 today, I want to ask, have you ever heard the story of the lady who was walking down the beach and found a magic lamp? This lady was walking down the beach with her family, just like you may do with your family this afternoon. And she picked it up, she rubbed it, and out came a genie. The genie looked at her and he said, hey, thank you so much for freeing me. Because you freed me from this lamp, I'm going to grant you one wish. Whatever it is you want, just ask me for it and I'll give it to you. The lady thought a little bit and she tuned into her altruistic side and she said, you know, I want to pray for peace in the Middle East. I'm from that area. There's a lot of political turmoil. There's a lot of violence. I want to pray or ask rather that you would give peace there. So she pulls out a map. She opens it. She shows to Jeannie where it is in the world. And then she says, no, 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 no. I don't want to pray for peace or ask for peace in the Middle East. I want to ask for world peace. I want to ask that you would give peace in the entire world. And then Jeannie said, well, I'm good, but I'm not that good, okay? You need to ask for something else, something a little more reasonable. What are you going to ask for? And I'll grant you that wish. And the lady says, okay, well, I'm single, and I need a man in my life. So I want to ask that you would give me a man who's going to love me, a man who's going to tell me how beautiful I am, a man who is going to cook around the house, a man who is going to provide for me, and a man who is never going to watch TV, and a man who's never going to watch sports. And the genie said, wait, where's that map again, right? Like, I, I can accomplish that because what you're asking for, there is no way that I can do that. Now, look, um, the reason I tell you that corny joke, thanks for humoring me, by the way. I'm a new dad. I'm just trying to work on my dad jokes for when my son gets older. Hope it worked on you. But the reason I tell you that corny joke is because I have a question today that I want you to think about with me. And my question is this. If you were to ask God for anything in your life right now, what would you ask for? If I can say it another way, what do you perceive to be the most critical need in your life at this point? Maybe for some of you, it's physical. You've received a diagnosis, and that diagnosis is not looking good. You feel like there's no hope. You feel like there is no way out of that situation or circumstance. And your prayer would be to ask God to remove that from your life. Maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you're here today and you're in a hard financial spot. You're facing foreclosure, you're facing bankruptcy, and your prayer, what you perceive to be the most critical need in your life is that God would remove that. Maybe it's not financial, maybe it's relational. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Or maybe you are single and you're looking for the one that God has for your life. And your prayer 
would be that God would solve that situation. That's what you perceive to be the most critical need in your life at this point in time. Guys, today in Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to see Paul, who's the author of the book, pray and ask God for big things in his life. Now, I am not advocating today that God is a genie in a bottle, okay? But what I am saying is that Paul isn't afraid to pray and ask big things, big things for himself and big things for us. But here's the thing. The things that Paul is going to ask for today are a lot different than the things that you and I would ask for. Paul doesn't pray and ask that God would fix his finances. He doesn't pray that God would fix his relationships. He doesn't pray for any other situation or any other circumstance. But what Paul does ask God for is that he would strengthen us with his power and that he would fill us with his love. Let's look and see what he says today in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. The Bible, the Word of God, says this. It says, For this very reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power, there's the first one, through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, there's the second one, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So as we start this conversation today in verse 14, we see that there is a reason that Paul is praying and asking for this thing. It's how he starts the verse. So the question really becomes, okay, well, why? Like, why is Paul asking that God would strengthen us with his power and that he would fill us with his love? And I think if we were to step out of Ephesians 3 this morning together and look back into chapter 2, we would discover the reason that Paul is praying for these things. You see, when you look at chapter 2, it doesn't really start off all that well. Paul starts chapter 2 and he says that every single one of us, before we knew Jesus, we're dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses. How encouraging is that today, right? Paul would say things like, hey, none of us sought God. None of us wanted to follow God. None of us wanted to obey God in our lives. He would use language and he would say that we were children of wrath. I mean, look, pull that out of your back pocket this week and share that if someone makes you mad at the office, right? Hey, you're a child of wrath. It's a very strong, very intense language that Paul is using here. But what's incredible, guys, is that Paul turns a corner in chapter 2. And he says that our God is a God who is rich in mercy. He says that our God sent his son Jesus into this earth to live a life that we could never live and die a death on a cross that we deserved. He says that Jesus came and he preached peace to those of us who were far away from God so that anybody, regardless of beliefs, regardless of experience, and regardless of circumstances, could be brought near to God and be placed into his family as a follower of Jesus. Guys, that is what is motivating Paul to pray in this moment. He is floored and he is gripped by the gospel, the message of Jesus. But guys, I also think there's another reason. You see, if you don't know a lot about Paul, Paul was an individual who was involved in the first church in the history of the world. And Paul would have known what it would have looked like for God's love 
and God's power to be on full display and taking its full effect in their lives. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, we see the story of a guy named Peter. Peter was a dude who was notorious for sticking his foot in his mouth, right? You ever been there? He was a guy who was a coward. He wouldn't ever stand up and he wouldn't do the right thing. But in that moment, what God does is he fills him with his power. And Peter stands up and shares the need for Jesus with thousands of people who are right in front of him. That's the kind of power that Paul would have seen. In Acts chapter 4, we see that one of Jesus' followers named John being pressured from political leaders and city officials for doing the right thing. Man, you ever been there? Like you're, you know what the right thing is to do, but your boss, parents, people in authority, over you, whoever says, no, you don't need to do that. John was facing that. And in that moment, he is filled with God's power and says, you know what? I don't care. This is what God is calling me to do. So I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do the right thing. Same chapter, Acts chapter four, we see God's love on display. We see that Christians were the kind of people who loved their community and loved their church so much, guys, that there was no need among them. They were giving away possessions. They were selling their homes. They were giving people food because they were so gripped by God's love. In Acts chapter 9, we see that Paul, the very guy who is writing this book, hated Christians. He is what we would consider a modern-day ISIS militant. He hated Christians, couldn't stand to be around Christians, and was killing Christians every single opportunity he got. But God's love reached down, gripped him, transformed his heart, transformed his life, and God turned the greatest critic of Christianity into the greatest catalyst for Christianity in the history of the entire world. Paul was a guy who knew what God's love and God's power looked like when it took its full effect in the early church. But gang, today I want to let you know that I don't think God's love and God's power stops with the early church. I think that God's love and God's power are things that he wants for you and he wants for me today. Because when we understand what God's love and power is, listen to me, it's going to change us and it's also going to change the world around us. And so let's look at both of these things together, God's power and God's love. In verse 16, we see Paul ask that God would give us his power. That word power in the original language of the New Testament is a word called dunamis. Now humor me, everyone say dunamis. You get an A for participation today, okay, good job. That word may sound familiar to you because it's actually where we get our English word for dynamite. But here's the deal. This dynamite, this power that Paul is praying for that we would have in our lives isn't like the dynamite you and I would think of today. For many of us, we think of Wiley E. Coyote and Roadrunner, right? A red acne stick that blows up, wreaks a lot of havoc, makes a loud bang, and then it's over. But the power that Paul is talking about isn't like that. It's more like the gasoline in your car. It's not flashy. It doesn't make a big bang. It doesn't wreak a lot of havoc. In fact, you rarely even know it's there. It's just this dependable, ongoing source of power that gets you to where you need to go within your life. A few weeks ago, I had something that happened to me that actually brought this idea of God's power to light. I want to share it with you. Uh, a few weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, I was leaving the office, going home for the day. I get in my car in our back parking lot here, crank up the car, 
and pull out on Highway 90. As I'm driving, an alarm goes off in my car. Can you guess what that alarm was? Low gas, low fuel, yep, absolutely. Now, here's the deal. Uh, this is not unfamiliar territory to me, okay? Like, I've been here before. The gas light goes off on me all the time. And I know that when my gas light goes off, that I have 25 miles to empty, okay? Now, what I should have done is I should have filled the car up on the way home, right? But did I? No, I did what you would do, and I said, I'll just fill it up in the morning. It'll be okay. I'm just going to get home, right? Needless to say, the next morning, I was running behind. I had to get to the office, had some meetings that morning. So I had 18 miles to empty. I'm like, I'm still good. We're going to make it. We're going to be okay, right? So I come to the office. Later that afternoon, I had back-to-back meetings here in town, and then I had a dinner meeting over at Woody's. Can you guess what my gas was on by the time I pulled into Woody's down here on Highway 90? One. (laughs) I had one mile to empty, okay? I had to sputter across Highway 90 to get to the gas station and fill my car up. I mean, thank goodness we don't live in an area where the Colonial Pipeline was down, right? Because then I really would have been up the creek without a paddle, wouldn't have been able to get gas. (laughs) But as I thought about that, and I thought about God's power in our lives, I couldn't help but wonder, isn't that what a lot of us are like spiritually? We're kind of sputtering through life. We don't know if we're going to make it. And we're just hoping that something comes through in those moments. Man, we have all been there. Here's the deal. I talk to a lot of people in my role here at Mosaic. And what I know is there are some very serious challenges that all of us are facing in our lives. We're facing character flaws that we're wanting to overcome. We're trying to overcome and fight addiction. We're trying to heal our broken marriage. We're navigating kids who are walking away in their relationship with the Lord. Guys, we are facing some very real challenges in our life. And what's even scarier than that is we are running ourselves ragged trying to overcome it because we are trying to do all of those things in our own power and we're sputtering along through life not even knowing if we're going to make it. Man, if you find yourself there, look, I've been there, we've all been there, but if you're there right now, I want to tell you something, and it's actually meant to encourage you. Your power and my power are not enough to live the lives that God wants us to live. In fact, your power and my power is what got us into our situations in the first place. So our power is not going to get us out of it, right? That's why self-help books are so stupid, right? If self got you into the problem, self is not going to get you out of the problem. We're just not that good. It's just not enough. What we need in that moment is a fill-up. We need an outside source, an outside strength to come into our lives and fill us with power that comes through God's Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of us. Guys, we know this, but it is so good to hear it again. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone gives us the strength we need to live our lives. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone gives us freedom from the power and bondage of sin in our life. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the one who gives us true joy and meaning and hope and purpose and strength and power in our lives. And that is why Paul is praying that we would have it in this moment. Listen to me. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says that the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave now lives in you as a follower of Jesus. 1 Timothy 4, Paul says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. So in moments where you may feel like you struggle, in moments where you feel like you're just not going to make it, ask God to give you the strength that you don't feel like you have to make it through those moments because His power is what's going to push us through, not our own power. We need Him in those moments. If I can say it this way, The same power that saves you from your sin also sustains you to live your life. Did you know that? Man, for me growing up, I thought God's power, I thought my relationship with Jesus was something I just came to one time, prayed for one time, and then I was good the rest of my life, right? But the reality is we need God's power every day. We need to depend on Him every day. Our power is not enough, but His power is enough. And that's why Paul is praying that we would have that in this passage. And so let me ask you a question. In your life right now, do you find yourself relying more on your power? Or do you find yourself relying more on God's power? I really mean it. What's your first inclination when everything goes wrong? Is it to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and grit your teeth and just get through it in those moments? Or is it to say, God, man, I can't do this. I need you. I need your power. I need your strength. I need you to help me in these moments. Earlier this week, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about God's power. And he said, you know, Jacob, uh, it seems like I am working harder and harder in my life than I ever have before, but I am moving further and further behind. You ever been there? You're working harder and harder than you ever have in your job but you're falling further behind. You're working harder and harder for your marriage, and it seems like you're falling behind. We have all been there, and that is why we need to lean on God and lean on His power. Guys, maybe the answer for some of us isn't trying harder. Maybe the answer for some of us is just being still. It's getting into the presence of God and admitting that you have done all that you can do So you are going to invite him into the process to do all that he can do in those moments. And so Paul prays that we would have God's power. But Paul also prays that we would have God's love. It's what he says next. Look back to the passage. He says, I pray that you would be strengthened with God's power, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so Paul prays for God's power, but then he prays for something interesting. I don't know if you caught this or not. Paul doesn't pray that we would love God more. Did you catch that? Paul doesn't pray that we would love God more. Instead, he prays that we would know God's love, that we would know his love. Now, why does that even matter? You're like, Jacob, like, why do you point that out, dude? I think it matters, and I think Paul prays that because when we understand how much God loves us, it will be possible for us to love him, love others, and watch this, love ourselves. 
Guys, when we know how much he loves us, it becomes possible to love him, love others, and love ourselves. In some ways, it kind of reminds me of a quote that I read in a book a while back. The name of the book isn't really important. In fact, it's probably not worth the paper that it's written on, if you just want me to be honest. But in the book, it tells the story of a main character who walks up to his high school English teacher and he asks him a question. Maybe you've heard this question before. He said, teacher, why do nice people choose the wrong people to date? Come on, how many of you asked that question before? Like, why do nice people choose the wrong people? Like, just pick me, right? Like, I'm going to treat you nice. I'm going to be good for you. You're choosing the wrong people. We have all had that question, whether we want to admit it or not. And after thinking about that question for a second, the teacher looks at him and he says these words. It's so profound. He says, people do that because we accept the love we think we deserve. We accept the love that we think we deserve. Man, isn't that true? Maybe you've made mistakes in your life. Maybe you've made mistakes before you were a follower of Jesus. And because of that, listen to me, you're in a place in life right now where you feel like you're unlovable. You feel like no one can forgive you and you feel like you are never going to truly experience love in your life because you're accepting the love you think you deserve. Guys, if you're in that place right now, I just want to warn you. I've been there. And what I find is that when we get there, listen to me, one of three things are going to happen. We're going to respond in one of three dysfunctional ways when we accept the love we think we deserve. The first thing we do is we'll settle. We'll settle. Rather than believing God's best for our lives, we settle for less than his best. So we date people we have no business dating. We befriend people we should have no business befriending. We invite people into our life that don't want God's best for us and who are going to tear us down more than they're going to bring us up in this moment. But we're okay with it because we're settling. We're accepting the love that we think we deserve. And guys, if you're there right now, let me just encourage you. Man, don't settle. God has a great and wonderful plan for your life. He really does. Your worth and identity is not based on what you do or what you think about yourself or what others say about you. You know where your identity comes from? Your worth and identity comes from who God says you are through his son, Jesus Christ. And God says that he loves you. God says that he wants to forgive you. God says he wants to restore you in your life and has a great plan he wants you to experience. So man, if that's you, don't settle. God has more for you than that. Some of us don't settle, but what we do when we feel like we're unlovable is we punish ourselves with guilt and shame. Maybe you have made some serious mistakes in your past. Maybe it was in regards to your relationships. Maybe it was addictions. Maybe it was things you said or did to other people. And because of that, you're beating yourself up with guilt and shame. You're like, man, nobody can love me. I'm never going to get through this. Like, what if people actually knew what I did in my past and they knew the real me? It would be terrible. I'm unlovable and I'm going to accept the love that I think I deserve in that moment. Man, if that is you and you're beating yourself up all day and you are punishing yourself with guilt and shame, I just want you to hear me this morning. Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistakes. 
He doesn't see the failed relationships or the addictions or any of that. He sees someone that he loves. He sees someone that he wants to forgive. He sees someone that he wants to save and give meaning and purpose and satisfaction to in their lives. God, if that's you, don't let other people condemn you. And more importantly, don't condemn yourself. God doesn't. And so we shouldn't either. We should accept his love and live out of the overflow of that. Some of us don't settle. Some of us don't punish ourselves with guilt and shame. But what we do is we live a life of emptiness. What happens when we feel like we're unlovable, to quote the great theologian Johnny Lee, is we go looking for love in all the wrong places. Yep, absolutely. And so when we don't feel like we're lovable, we'll search for satisfaction in a job. We'll search for satisfaction in a relationship. We'll search for satisfaction in money. Or even worse than all of that, we'll search for satisfaction in sin. Guys, you know this. I'm just reminding you. Those things will never satisfy you. They won't. They're not meant to. That's why Paul prays in verse 19 of our passage today that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Guys, listen to me. When Jesus came to this earth, he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that I have come that you may have life and that you would have it to the fullest. Man, the Christian life isn't lame. The Christian life isn't boring. It is a rich, full, and satisfying life that God wants for you. And so if you feel like you're on empty and you're living a life of emptiness, man, lean on God, focus on his love, because when we understand how much God loves us, it will become possible to love him, love others, and even love ourselves in our lives. That's why Paul in this passage is so intentional about the language he uses to describe God's love. Did you catch that? He says that God's love is wide. Guys, God's love is wide enough that it can reach across the whole world regardless of background, regardless of experience, and save you and bring you into his family. God, Paul says that God's love is long. Guys, God's love is long enough that it never runs out. It's inexhaustible. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to get rid of it. Paul says that God's love is high. Guys, God's love is high enough that it can reach down to the lowest depths of earth and sin and bring sinners up into heaven. He prays that we would know how deep God's love is. Guys, God's love is deep enough that it can reach down into any situation, into any circumstance, and save you and redeem you and love you and fill you and satisfy you in our lives. Guys, God's love is incredible, and that's why Paul is praying for this and saying that we need to know this. So we can love him, love others, and love ourselves. God, some of us are just trying to love God more. But the answer is we need to focus on his love. Focus on his love this week, and you'll find that loving him becomes more possible. Loving others becomes more possible, and loving yourself becomes more possible in your life. Guys, I'm telling you, love is the key. Paul experienced it in the early church, and he wants us to have it in our lives today. And I think that that's why he says what he does at the end of the chapter. Look at it with me. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, 
to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Drop the mic. Take it to the bank. Okay. Can I tell you something about the God we serve? The God we serve is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or think or imagine in our lives. He's able to do immeasurably more in your life. He's able to do immeasurably more in your marriage. He's able to do immeasurably more when it comes to your relationships and your jobs and the struggles that you can't seem to shake and overcome. He's able to do immeasurably more. And guys, today, more than anything, I want him to do immeasurably more in your life. And I also want him to do immeasurably more in this church. But before we can ever do great things for God, we need to let him do something in us. Before God can ever move through us, he must move in us. And my prayer for you today is that you would let God go to work in you. Let him fill you with his power. Let him strengthen you with his love. And what you'll find is that he'll begin to do great things in your life and he's going to do great things in this church. And so what I want to do to close out our service this morning is I actually want to pray for us. I want to pray that God's power and God's love would be evident in your life, my life, this church, and in our community. And so wherever you're at right now, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, let's bow our heads and let's pray together for this. Some of you are here today and you thought that God was mad at you. You thought that God was here to condemn you. You thought that God was gonna drop the hammer on you. And if that's you, man, I just hope and pray you see that could not be farther from the truth. God knows the worst about you, yet he loves you the most. He wants to forgive you. He wants to love you. And he wants to give you his power today. If you're wanting to begin a relationship with Jesus, you're wanting to be filled with God's power and love for the very first time, then I encourage you to pray to God right now and pray something like this. God, I come before you in prayer. I recognize that I've done things I know I shouldn't do. And I haven't done things that I know I should have done. But God, I'm trusting in Jesus today. God, I trust that Jesus' ability to save is greater than my ability to sin. And I commit to following you all the days of my life. God, I may not know the future, but I am trusting in the one who does. And I pray that you would fill me with your power and fill me with your love and help me to discover your plan and purpose for my life. Man, if you just prayed that, I'd encourage you. Grab that connect card in the seat back in front of you. Fill it out and check that box that says you became a follower of Jesus. We would love to follow up with you. I'd love to walk alongside of you in your life as you have this new relationship. For the rest of us, Father, I just come before you again in prayer. And like this passage says, I bow my knee before you. God, you are the one through whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God, I pray that you would strengthen us with your power. Give us the strength to overcome sin. Give us the strength 
to overcome marital challenges. Give us the strength to overcome other obstacles that we are facing in our life. God, we confess to you today, our power is not enough. We need you. God, help us to stop fighting and help us to start trusting in you and your power. God, I pray that you would fill us with your love. God, Paul said that he prayed that Christ would dwell in our hearts and we would be rooted and grounded in him. God, I know that when we are rooted in Jesus, nothing in this world can move us. Nothing in this world can shake us. And so God, I pray that for your people, root us and ground us in Christ. God, I pray that we would know how high and long and wide and deep your love is so that we can love other people the way that you want us to, so that we can love ourselves the way that you want us to, and so that we can make a great impact in the world around us. God, your word says that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or think or imagine. And God, I pray for that. Do more in our marriages. Do more in our lives. Do more in our careers. Do more in every aspect of who we are so that we can be the people you want us to be and so that we can reach the people that you want us to reach. God, I know that you have great things you want to do through us today. So God, I pray that you would go to work in us so that they can be possible. God, help us to be transformed by your word today, not just informed by it. We love you. We pray all of these things to you. In Jesus' mighty name.